My theme is being thankful. And um, just going to pray. Just going to give you some warning. Like I was a, like a rabbit caught in the lights. I'm doing a sermon on being, thank, being thankful. And I, I like couldn't think of anything. So I needed a little bit longer. Maybe you can do better. Lord, I'm really sorry that sometimes I forget how to be thankful. Sometimes maybe it's just a bit too busy to be thankful and dealing with that sort of nonsense or pausing for a few moments. But actually, if we do pause and if we pause in prayer and worship, you help us to remember the sort of things that we need to be thankful for. So I pray that I wouldn't take the many blessings for granted. And I pray, Lord, that you'd release in all of us a spirit of thankfulness. But also this evening, um, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we'd know you much, much more deeply. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, be honest, if I said, what have you got to be thankful for? Did anyone sort of come up with a load of things to start off with? Or were you struggling like me? Who is struggling like me a little bit? None of you. So you can all think of things to be thankful for. Eventually, I got a few lists of things to be thankful for, but they're slightly clouded by what's going on in the world at the moment. So I want to be thankful that I've got a roof over my head. I want to be thankful that I've got water in the tap. I want to thank God that this evening I am going to go into my home and I'm not unlikely to be bombed. It might happen, but it's very, very unlikely. I'm grateful that I can walk out in Claygate and I'm not going to see dismembered body parts everywhere. I'm thankful for the people around me, for my church family. I'm thankful for my wife and my children and my grandchildren. And my hope is that there might be great, great, great grandchildren. And no one's trying to cut off my family line. I want to give thanks for the many things maybe that I take for granted. This evening, I want to thank God that he didn't give up on me and that I've got a personal relationship with him. That I know deep within that he loves me and that he's chosen me. I want to give thanks to God for his holy Bible, his holy word, that for so much of my life has probably um, been zipped away and never opened. I want to give thanks, and we can all take advantage of this, but I just believe there to be promises and riches in heaven that only get unlocked if we spend a bit of time with the Lord and ask him to lavish those on us and others. And yes, there's tough stuff going on, but I think there could be so, so, so many more blessings if we just 
took time and took God at his word. In the um, passage this evening, um, it talks about thankfulness. Um, But I've been reflecting on the link between thanksgiving and prayer. And um, both, well, we pray in all sorts of different ways. But I, I wonder whether a different quality of prayer is birthed when we start with thanksgiving and start with praise. In Ephesians 1 verse 15, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, so about faith, and your love for all God's people, faith and love, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So we're in Ephesians 1, if you want to follow, and rather than read out the Bible reading and me just repeat quite a few of the lines. I'm just going to do it as part of my talk. So that's Ephesians 1, um, 15. So faith and love and thanksgiving. But what reason has Paul for being thankful? Well, firstly, that they're his chosen people and they're part of his family. And interestingly, the family of God uh, uh, has both Jews and Gentiles in it. That was God's plan. No separation. Um, There was to be, um, all the barriers were to be removed, the barrier of sin between God and them, family history, gender, race, culture, social status. They were thankful that they'd been forgiven their sins. This massive gulf between the holiness and God and them has been bridged in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and more than this God seals his promise for them I did a baptism this morning I signed a little one with a sign of the cross he was wiggling a little bit but I managed to get the cross on his head and you are mine for keeps that's what God says anytime any of us give our lives to him verse 16 I've not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers I keep asking that the God of our uh, Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. I pray, I'm not going to speak too much about this, but just imagine it, that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he's called you. So he's called you for a hope and for a purpose, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and the incomparable great power for us who believe. And I'm not going to speak much about this power, but if you want to know about it, it's about Jesus' death and resurrection. This is resurrection power. This is nothing can keep him down sort of power. And this is the power that he promises to release in you and in me. The prayer in this passage is one of the first prayers that I heard as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, like a proper grown-up follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've played at it quite a few times before. It's a prayer that I go back to time and time again. But maybe like Paul, it's a prayer that I should be praying more often for you, that you might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. 
See, praying for wisdom and revelation and knowing more about God is sort of okay, but it's not enough. It just puffs us up with knowledge. What Paul is praying for here is that people have wisdom and revelation so they have a much, much deeper relationship with God. So that applies to everyone in the room. So who uh, doesn't need the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Who uh, do you know that wouldn't want to know God a little bit better? Well, I think of quite a few people that might not want to know God a little bit better. And if I'm honest, I was one of those people for a big chunk of my life. I was terrified about getting too close to him, just in case he changed how I behaved. But if we dare to pray this prayer, I wonder what would change. See, getting wisdom and revelation about Jesus technically might make us to want to behave with his help a little bit more like Jesus. So I figure that my family situation might look a little bit different. I think if that prayer deepened, maybe our church fellowship would look a bit different. Maybe our communities would look a bit different. Our nation would look a bit different. The nations would look a lot different. And how about this? Because Jesus came with a spirit of reconciliation. That was his job. So even warring nations that are knocking, I don't say, out of each other, brutalizing each other, maybe they would look a little bit different too if they could just pause and be humble enough. And it's so, so hard when you feel deeply, deeply wounded because the temptation is to lash out. But Jesus, the model that he gave to us was that he took, turned the other cheek. The model that he um, gave to us that he was like a lamb to the slaughter that didn't open his mouth and the Lord laid on him the punishment which was due for us all. My journey to personal faith was a very slow one. Some will have heard some of my faith story. A few of us were practicing during the week. Richard got a snippet. So we've been practicing and trying to tell our story in 15 seconds. Anyone in the room, can you tell your life faith story in 15 seconds? I know a couple of people in team that can. I'm very jealous of their ability to be able to do that. And it's interesting. I don't quite make the 15 seconds. We had to do it in three minutes as well. And Richard in my group achieved it. And Catherine achieved it. And I think Mark achieved it as well. I was the only one, whack, whack, oops. I was not even getting going. And I was used up my three minutes. But I thought, it doesn't matter. I've got a whole sermon that I can use for it this evening. So, but... Just in case you're tempted to nod off and people do in evening services, I'm going to give you the 15-second version. I'm from a clergy family, but didn't want God involved in my life. Certainly not making life decisions. I thought it was a killjoy. As I approached my wedding day, I grappled with some of the deep spiritual questions and during the service, asked God to reveal himself. A year later, he did. And since then, I've felt called to help others to discover that too. So that's the 15-ish second version.
the longer version, which I gave at 9.30, and you're just, and sorry about this, but you're going to get the longer version. Um, but um, I bet there's not a single person in the room that can beat this, but I literally came into the world in a worship setting. My dad was the curate. They lived in the flat over the church. My mum gave birth to me during the Sunday services above. And my involvement with church since then, I suppose, was more out of duty than joy, but you just can't get away from it. I was dragged along. We do it to our children, us clergy, don't we? But I was dragged, dragged along to church loads and loads and loads. And I suppose you're taking in things, but I didn't really like it very much. At least I didn't think I did. But it was sort of safe. It was a safe thing. I was a bit bored with the standing up and the sitting down in the right place. Um, and I didn't get the whole Sunday hat and Sunday best thing at all. So I was a bit detached from it. But at the age of eight, I was sent off to boarding school, Durham Chorister School. And that was quite a dark, well, I felt it was an unloving, unlovely quite oppressive place that was actually, I've found out since, very, very dangerous for some people. But when I was there, the only safe place that I could think of in this boarding school that wasn't very nice um, was Durham Cathedral. I used to go to Durham Cathedral with another clergy child first thing in the morning, to cathedral services, and they can be pretty boring too, I'll tell you, not like Holy Trinity Claygate, but, um, but I just sort of felt safe. So you're just going through the motions. Years and years later, I I, this felt quite an oppressive place, to me, but years and years later, I was privileged to take Alice and my wife, and we only had three children at the time, into the same space to thank God because at the time they felt that there was no hope and no God. But to go back into that space was very, very liberating. During, um, we moved from the north to the south, so Moved around quite a bit, clergy child, went up to the northeast because we'd been in the West Indies with a West Indian accent, not popular in the northeast. And I went down south with a Geordie accent, not popular in the south either. And um, we joined a, a church and a youth group. I think I was a server and I had been in the choir. I couldn't, well, I didn't think I could sing very well, but you sort of get involved, quite high church. I remember hearing a talk from someone to a youth group. Um, and I think he must have been a church army officer. But he gave a presentation for the gospel and invited us to give our lives to Jesus. And this happened to me a few times, and my guts are just twisted inside out. Really don't want this at all. Don't want to be anywhere near church for too long or the people. Um, really quite terrified about putting God in charge of my life. And I walked away from that. And um, my, I suppose my reason for living and being at the time was sport, all sorts of different sports. I couldn't find the hockey. I got the hockey stick, but not the, not the hockey ball. But I just gave myself 
to playing sport, and I absolutely loved it. And anything that could keep me out of church, I was definitely up for it, even though I used to go from time to time. Um, Some of you heard this this morning, but on Easter Sunday, that was the Canterbury Hockey Festival. But there were little reminders from time to time about God's presence, because as much as I loved being at the Canterbury Hockey Festival, it was really annoying that the cathedral in the middle of Canterbury used to give me regular reminders about what I probably should have been doing on Easter Sunday. All of you lot here are probably very smart. And I'm a little bit smart, but not as smart as you. But I got into um, the sixth form at school and I just couldn't see, I'm not put, I might be throwing a few of you off here, parents, I really, I just couldn't see the point. What's the point in getting A-levels or degree and anything? And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You're going through the motions. And I just had enough. I bummed out of school and went into the city. And ended up in the um, oil futures market. So I was an oil futures trader. And um, this is my trading jacket. And I don't know whether I used to drink a lot more beers in those days, but if you'll notice, there's a little bit of room there. There's a little bit of room there. And, and so, so I did this for a while. But because you have personal things about your life, when you're a trader in that setting, and I think it's probably fair to say it's the rougher end of the trading environment, but people used to, anything they could get on you that they could potentially take the mickey out of to put you down so that you weren't quite as effective at trading, they would do it. So if you had sort of personal things about your life, like I love my family, and although I didn't get the whole God thing, I didn't not believe in God, I believed in God, I just didn't trust him enough to want to give my life to him. But there's me here. I suppose there's, um, there's trader Pat, and there's sportsman Pat, and there's family Pat. But we all know that we're not meant to be three people. I had far more faces than that. We're called to be one whole person. And this turmoil is going on inside me, and the little nudges the whole time that the Lord didn't want to let go of me. So what was I to do? Well, I remember going out. I can't remember whether it's lunchtime or evening. It could have been either or in that setting at the time uh, for a drink with a few people around the market. And I told them in the strictures of confidence a little bit about my family situation, uh, that I was from a Christian home, that my dad was a vicar. And bless them, they kept that to themselves for quite a while. But after a very, very boozy lunch... One of them, leading the pack, came back singing songs that I think he must have learnt with his nan in the Salvation Army. So it's a little bit like this, sort of crowded round, lots of people, quite aggressive, mainly male environment. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we shall gather round the river. And everyone thought it was really, really hilarious. And I was hurting deep inside. Hurting not because they were having a go at me. Hurting because I and God knew that this wasn't true. They were assuming that I was a Christian and I hadn't given my life 
to him. So that began a little bit of a journey for me. Roll on a little while, and my dad, who I've said he was a vicar, I proposed to Alison, and we were going to get married in church. And this wasn't going to be an ordinary marriage. I did a test at the 9.30 service. Who of you have got married in the church and had Holy Communion as well? Hands up if you, a few of you. You're really, that is quite hardcore, isn't it? We're serious if we're doing that sort of thing. The problem for me is that I didn't believe in God. Or yes, maybe I did believe in God, but I hadn't given my life to. And I'm doing this hardcore Christian thing. God, this is a complete farce if you don't exist. It's a complete farce if you don't exist. And I don't know, for the first moment, just like we prayed a few moments ago, I prayed and prayed and prayed, was honest about the situation. Lord, if you do exist, please reveal yourself. While I was doing all this serious praying, Alison was busy being gorgeous and looking at everyone and, and beaming as you, you should do. But part of my prayer, if this is going to last, if this marriage is going to last, and I know what I'm like and I know what all of you lot are like, it's not beneath any of us to mess up big time and jeopardize our marriages through stupidity. And I was praying, God, if this marriage is going to last, I need you to be there. A year later, um, like I had a spiritual encounter there. I don't know, I, I know what it is now, but something deep, deep happened that I opened myself up to God. And if you're listening to me and you've not had this sort of big shift in your life, Maybe a simple prayer like, Lord, if you're there, please reveal yourself, is not a bad starting point, is it? Anyway, um, a year later, <laughs> we shouldn't do this. We don't think anyone reads it. We put things through people's doors, don't we, as a church? I think it goes straight in the recycling bin, personally. Uh, but maybe not always. I'm a bit cynical. But this was an invitation to go to listen to Billy Graham at Crystal Palace in 1989. I have a few prejudices about evangelists. And I wasn't really that keen to go and listen to Billy Graham. Because I thought he was after my cash. And I had a few bob in those days. So I didn't want to give it up lightly. But I remember going with Alison on the coach with our local church and seeing these thousands and thousands of people there, and Billy Graham preached, I can't remember a word he said, but again, it's this internal turmoil going on in my stomach. And folks were getting out of their seats and going to the front, people of different shapes and sizes and creeds, giving their lives to the Lord, and I was holding on to Alison. It was like being on a white knuckle ride. There's no way I'm ready to do anything like that. What I wasn't banking on is that the Lord had other plans for me because on the coach on the way back, I broke down in tears. Like I was wasted. And I thought that anything that can do this to me is worth exploring. This is a little bit embarrassing for me to share with you. I'd probably managed to go to church for 25 years and felt as though I know absolutely nothing of help. 
So you can just go through the motions. I'm living proof of going through the motions. I had so many questions that I needed to ask God that I resolved to make myself, and I didn't give a stuff what anyone else thought about me, to ask all the questions that I needed to ask. These things are too important to stay silent about. Please, please ask your questions. And long story short, but we ended up going to a church in Blackheath, St. John's Blackheath. Somehow I managed to get in a home group and didn't get kicked out. There were home groups in those days. And um, somehow uh, I signed up for a parish weekend. And new wine's such an easier ask, by the way, than going on a parish weekend. Particularly if you're in a group and they don't have anyone to do the drama on behalf of the group, and Alice and I are doing it. So I did the drama. Um, and after that, someone came up to me and they said, um, <laughs> we're always looking for people on the youth team, by the way. But they said, uh, I don't know why they thought this, they thought you'd be great at sort of running our youth ministry. And I thought, you just have got no idea. I don't even follow Jesus. I have, like, that would be a bit dangerous, wouldn't it, putting me in charge of folks, and I don't even believe. And my sticking point all the way along isn't that I needed a saviour, someone to save me from myself and my sins. I wasn't looking for a Lord. I wasn't looking for the boss of my life. But that evening, I prayed a prayer to invite Jesus into my life, to cleanse me from the inside out. And for me, and this doesn't happen to everyone, that was a very physical thing. I could sense it happening, shook from head to foot, and as a sign of me wanting to give my whole life to the Lord, the worst thing I could think of at the time was saying to God, I'll even be one of these. I'll give up my job, and I'll be a vicar. Anyone that knows anything about the Church of England, wah, wah, they're simply not having that at all, there is not a line of people uh, looking for ordination candidates outside an oil trading pit. But over a period of time, that obviously happened. But the reason I'm, <laughs> several reasons for sharing this story this evening. But the reason for sharing this story, that immediately after giving my life to the Lord, it just so happened that Ephesians was the theme for the evening. And I said earlier in the talk that probably one of the first prayers that I prayed um, was in Ephesians 1 about God giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not to puff ourselves up and look how clever I am, that we might know Jesus personally and deeply. And let me just say to those of you who've prayed such a prayer, there's so much greater depth to this relationship than we can possibly imagine. It's a lifelong journey. But then I did something that I hadn't done for a while. I had this little Bible, and at the time, the zip was in pristine condition, and the pages weren't falling out. 
And that's because it was very well zipped up. And I didn't read the Bible. I had a precious, pristine Bible. But I read for the first time the whole book of Ephesians. And I couldn't believe how God was speaking to me through it. I commend God's holy word to you. So back to the passage for this evening. God's got, um, he's lavished so much on us. And I think this evening he's calling us to, to remember and give thanks for his many blessings. I think there's so many blessings that we haven't received because we haven't asked. And I just want to encourage you and me to ask and keep on asking. And just a final thought, but this prayer, such a powerful prayer, and for many years I'd have just looked blankly at anyone that said there was anything in it. But I think we're invited with Paul to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know him better. Maybe to pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation for the folks that we know who at the moment, like me, have had their backs turned to God for such a long time. I want to be praying this prayer for those nearest and dearest to me. But wouldn't it be so wonderful if folks came to this church with that expectation that we indeed, as our purpose statement says, we will be able to encounter, celebrate, and share this transforming love.